Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning, church. How are you guys? Hey, welcome to Waterhouse Church. We're so glad that you're joining us today. And for those online, thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas. There you go. That sounds good. I like that. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, it's good. Hey, I, I want to say thank you to all those who helped yesterday. We went to uh, Christmas on the Square yesterday and passed out tons of hot chocolate. I think we do 25 gallons of hot chocolate. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And gave out 300-something cookies. And so... Uh, we just got to love on our community. It was a good time. So thank you guys that chipped in and did that. Um, and so thank you for being here today. Hey, if it's your first time here, or maybe you have, haven't been here a long time and haven't got an opportunity to connect with us, we would love to connect with you. Here's the easiest way to do that. We have a text number, 817-803-3131. For those of you guys that are here every week, you probably know this. You probably cite it. But just text the word CONNECT to this number, and we'll give you a little digital card to fill out and get you more information. And we're even going to send you a little gift in the mail to say thank you for visiting today. And I hope that you found a home here. Uh, and so we love you. We're glad that you're here. And I just want to open up today with some scripture passage, and then we'll dive right into the message today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. It is Christmas time, so we're going to, of course, read about some Christmas stories. And so this story is very familiar if you've been in church at any amount of time. But it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen as well. And so, on your mark, say, here we go. So, here we go. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man that did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her baby was born, her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I love Christmas time. Do you guys love Christmas? It's so great. I mean, Christmas, I love the decorations. I love the lights. I love the atmosphere. But also with the Christmas season, there comes a lot of things that aren't so great, right? We love the Christmas music, and we hate the Christmas music. How many of you are like, Mary, did you know fans? I rest my case. Oh, okay. So I'm not. 
You know, and then there's that Christmas shoes song. Please don't play that. You know, there's, there's songs that are great. And there's songs that aren't. So there's a lot of good things that come with Christmas and a lot of good things and a lot of bad things that come associate this time of the year. This time of the year can be very tough for a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of loss during this time of year. I don't know what it is about this time of year. A lot of people lose loved ones around the holidays. Um, there's a lot of financial pressure that comes with the holidays as well. There's a lot of outside things and forces pushing on us this time of year to do more, be more, buy more, consume more, be everywhere, be everything to everyone. And so this time of year can be very, very hard. And there's so much trying to pull on us this time of year that this tries to pull us apart. And so today we're going to be talking about how we can make the most of Christmas have a good attitude moving into it and survive the holidays. Not just survive, but really put our best foot forward and see the good in everything. Because even when there's bad things happening to us, there's always good things that we can look forward to. And so I want to break this story down that we just read and talk about how Joseph chose to do the right thing when the easy thing and the convenient thing may have been a little more easier because like I said, this holiday season pulls us, it pushes us, it tries to take us down. And with all the expectations of people, all the things that are going on, like I said, there's so much good, but there's also a lot of things that weigh on us and push and pull on us. There's these internal things, these internal things that, that we want to do more for people, but we just can't. And so we, we feel guilty and we feel a lot of shame, but I want you to know there's hope for you. There's a lot of external things pushing on us this type of season, like I talked about. I want you to know there's hope for you. Because when life is pulling at you, the question is, how do we keep it all together when everything is trying to push us apart? See, I think Joseph here can teach us a valuable lesson on how to not be ripped apart when the world seems to be pulling us apart at the seams. And so think about this. Joseph just heard that Mary was pregnant, and it's not his baby. Now, I don't know about you, but... I wouldn't respond the way that Joseph responded, probably, because that's not normal. Like, we mean you're pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This, what are you talking about, Mary? You know, but he chose to do what was right. And I think that we can learn a lot from Joseph and his attitude and his approach when things happen to him that are unexpected, that he does what is admirable and what is right. The questions that Joseph probably had while he was rolling in his bed, because it said he was, you know, pondering and considering in his bed, what he was going to do, if he was going to do was right or not. He's probably thinking in his bed, man, what am I going to tell my family? Look, all the arrangements are made, the dowry has been paid, all these things are lining up from the wedding day, and now what am I going to tell my family? How, what am I supposed to do with Mary? What, 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 how am I supposed to approach this? I've got to cancel my honeymoon plans. The Sea of Galilee, the trip's off. Maybe they'll give me money back. You know, and so he's going through all these things that we all go through, right? When things happen to us unexpected, it kind of starts a whirlwind of things in our mind, and we sit sleep, restless and sleepless in our bed. And maybe you can relate here to Joseph. Man, life has a weight to it. And our plans rarely go as planned. The unexpected seems to happen when it's least expected. Maybe that's why they call it the unexpected. <laughs> you know, it may be a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one. Maybe issues at school for you younger people. Maybe it's a relationship that went sour, and here we are left holding the bag. And so what do we do in those situations? See, Joseph needed direction more than anything. He needed to know the right path to follow. And it's at these moments we need direction. 
And some of you are like Joseph right now. Your whole world has been turned upside down. And, and it seems like the floor has been ripped out from under you. You have no idea what to do or how to proceed. And you don't know if you even have the strength to move on. But I want you to know today is for you. And I'm glad that you're here. Because just like we see in this story, God is always up to something. He's always up to something, even when we don't feel like it. And for you and for me, I can take comfort and we can take comfort in this. And we can trust him that he has a plan to get us through. And so the question we ask always is, how do I keep from falling apart when things are falling apart? But the real question is, we should be asking is this, what do I do while he's getting me through? Because he is getting you through it. You may not see it now. You may not think he is. You may not believe he is. But God's always working a way out and a way through. He's always delivering us. And because here's one thing that I know from experience, when the world is trying to push me down and life goes upside down, I can either let go of it and let God handle it, or I can grab onto it with two hands and hold tight and fast and hang on for dear life. And the problem with that is usually I cause more damage to others than myself when I do that. Amen. So we don't think about this, but Joseph had choices. Man, he could have blasted her on social media. My bae's been cheating on me, you know, for you younger people. Can't believe she did this. Blast, blast, blast. You know, she could have, he could have took her to the town square and, and put her on trial, and they could have cast her out of town. They could have even stoned her by their laws. He had a lot of options to handle this the way that he maybe would think was easier and more convenient in a way that might make him look good and make her look bad. He could have took advantage of the situation. But we know that Joseph did what was right. He knew that being right and doing right are two different things. And I pray that even through this season, you may be sitting here thinking, man, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to get even. I have a right to do these things. And the world may say it's accepted and the world may even applaud that. But I'm telling you, you have a choice. Do you want to be right or do you want to do right? There's a difference. And I pray today that you choose to do what's right rather than what's accepted. I love Mark Twain, the author. He said this. He goes, I do the right thing. He goes, well, he didn't say that. He goes, he goes, do the right thing because it will gratify some people and astonish the rest. You know, when people do the right thing, it's astonishing because we don't expect people to do the right thing a lot of times because we're not naturally doing the right things most of the time. And so we have to, it takes a little bit of help, and we're going to talk about that help. But Joseph, we see him, he did the right thing. He chose to do what was right because he was a righteous man. Scripture even said that he was a righteous man. Now, when we say a righteous man, we don't mean he's perfect. He wasn't a perfect man. Only Jesus is perfect. But, but what this was is an uprightness, or a, uh, it's an understanding of being right with God and doing right. Uh, Joseph was upright, meaning he chose to do the good things. If you, if you sum Joseph up to one word, it would be this, integrity. And going into these, in this season, and maybe you're going through a season in your own life right now where you feel like you're being pulled apart, what you need now is integrity. And integrity, if you look it up in the, in the dictionary, there's really three main uses of the word integrity. And number one is this. It's a firm adherence to a code or especially a moral or artistic value. In other words, it's incorruptibility. Are you incorrupt? Are you uncorrupted? Can you stay uncorrupted by the things from the outside? It's also an unimpaired condition or soundness. 
like something strong and firm that's going to hold up and be unmoved when everything else is shaken. It's also the quality or state of being undivided. This speaks of completeness. Like there's nothing missing. There's no part of me here or there or everywhere. You're complete and you're whole. It's a wholeness. That's integrity. And we see Joseph was incorrupt. He was uncorrupted. He was sound. He was unmoving. And he was complete. He didn't need anything. And he was a man of integrity. And integrity is what is needed when life is trying to tear you apart. We must be uncorruptible. We must be sound and we must be complete. And although Jesus did never, he never used the word integrity, you're not going to find it in your Bible in the New Testament, in, in, with Jesus' words, but he did call for a few things. He called for purity of heart. We see this in Matthew 5, and singleness of purpose. So purity of heart and singleness of purpose. These two things really tie up integrity. See, purity of heart is simply doing this. It's, it's keeping oneself pure and undefiled. It's uncorrupt. It's not being corrupted from everything that's going on around us. It's, it's being pure on the inside. And we all know what's inside of us always comes out of us. It, it's, being, it's being pure. It's the inner life of us being, uh, being pure from the pulling forces of the world around us. And it's a, a, us able to stay in God's plan and presence. And I want you to know Jesus made you pure. But we fail to see how pure we are. We think we always walk around dirty. I know a lot of people, especially believers, they walk around thinking they're just dirty, rotten sinners. I'm telling you, if you're saved by grace, you're not. You're pure and you're a saint and you're loved and you're good. Maybe you don't know that, but you're good. (laughs) Maybe you need to be told that today because God has made you good. God has done that, not us. Purity of heart can only be found truly in one place. As the psalmist in Psalm 119 puts it, one, uh, Psalm 119, 9 through 11, he gives us the answer. He says, how can a young person stay pure? How can an old person stay pure? How can anybody stay pure? By obeying your word. By obeying the word of God. What does this say? Do you do it or do you just listen to it or do you just read it? But when you do it and you obey it, there's a purity that happens in your life. And he says, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Don't let me run away from your commands because I found life in your words. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's in your heart? You ever thought about that? You know, it's a good good barometer of what's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. Scripture says that. What's in your heart? What comes out of you? That's usually what's in you. And when things bump up against us, it's what's in us that spills out. Integrity is purity of heart. And purity of heart keeps the inner life from being pulled away from God's plans and presence. So how do we keep our inner integrity? How do we keep a pure heart? Like he said, we got to get into scripture. We got to read the word. We got to know the word. And we got to obey the word. And then that we learn to do some things. We learn to love what God loves. And we learn to hate what God hates. Well, what does God love? God loves people, all people. And you know what? Last time I checked, you're a people. And since you're a people, God loves you. And we are to love each other. The person next to us, the person in the mirror. God asks us, he, 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 he demands us, he, he asks us and he demands us to love the person across from us. And when you read scripture and you obey it and you do what God is saying to you to do, you're going to naturally love people. And then we hate what God hates. Well, what does God hate? Sin. 
That's what he hates. He hates the sin because sin has an effect in our life. It destroys so many things. It destroys our life. It destroys our family's lives. It destroys the world. He hates sin with a passion. That's why he gave us Jesus to get rid of it. And so we learn to love what God loves, and we learn to hate and abhor the things that God hates, and that's sin. We get it out of our life. We wash it out of our life. But we can't know this unless we know his word. And then he goes on to say singleness of purpose. What's that? Well, it's our eyes kept from distraction. It's this soundness and unmovability that we have. It's keeping God center of everything. See, we all need a centering path to follow and to focus on. If we don't, we just kind of go from here to there. We follow every, what everybody else is doing. We see what's going on over here, and we go that way and that direction. But Jesus tells us to have a single purpose, and that single purpose is the kingdom of God. I love what the Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church in, verse, in chapter 3 of verse 13. He reminds the church here of what's important and to keep a single focus and a single purpose ahead of them. Paul says here, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. He's talking about perfection, <laughs> but I focus on this one thing. What's the one thing it focuses on? And what's the one thing we as believers need to focus on? It's this, forgetting the past. Forget the past. Some of you need to forget the past. Like, I know the past hurt, and I know there's mistakes in the past, but it's the past. You can't go back and fix it. You can't go back and do anything about it. All you can do is move forward. And Paul's saying, look, I forget the past, but here's what I do. I turn my eyes from that, and I turn my eyes to the future. And I look forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead? What's the good in store for us? What lies ahead, especially for us as believers? He goes, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He's saying, I'm looking ahead at the prize. The prize is heaven. The prize is, is the kingdom of God. The prize is Jesus. I'm looking for that, and I'm pressing toward that. I'm forgetting the past, and I'm moving to the future. And so what do we do when life is tearing us apart? We stop looking at the past. We stop looking at the issue, and we look to the solution, and we look to Jesus. And what keeps you moving forward? What keeps you pushing forward? And for Joseph, really, it was understanding who he was. Joseph knew his identity. He knew his identity and he knew his destiny. When the angel came to David, what did he say to him? He goes, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That angel told him who he was and told him his destiny. God is the only one that can tell you who you are, and God is the only one that can instill your destiny. And when you know who you are, you know your destiny. Because I want to tell you today, identity determines destiny. Identity determines your destiny. How do you see yourself? Because how you see yourself is how you're going to live your life. If you see yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner and you can't do anything right and your life's a mess and nothing's ever going to get better, guess what? Nothing's going to get better. Because I would dare say that your lowest view of yourself becomes the lid that keeps you from your true destiny. What's the lowest view of yourself? Well, I can't do this. My past too bad. My life's, you know, I'm not from a good family. All the, all the excuses that we have, we need to throw those things out the window because Jesus has made us new 
You're a new creation of Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You ain't got to worry about that stuff. Know who you are. David, Joseph knew who he was because the angel said, Joseph, son of David. He didn't come to him and say, hey, Joseph, the carpenter, or hey, Joseph, son of Jacob, which was his dad. He said, no, Joseph, you're the son of David. You're royalty. You're royalty. And I'm calling you for a purpose, and I'm calling you for a reason. I'm calling you to a destiny. I love Paul again. He writes to the church in, in Rome, and, and, and Paul is so humble. And I think Paul, when he writes his letters to the churches, he always starts with kind of this one thing. He kind of tells them who he is and his purpose. Paul understands his identity. And because Paul understood his identity, he understood his destiny. He knew that nothing was going to keep him from moving forward. And so when Paul writes to the Romans, he says this. This is a letter from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. That's his identity. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that defines me. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. Chosen by God. This is destiny part. Chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Because he's a slave of Jesus Christ, because he belongs only to Christ, because his one view, his one purpose, his one thing is to serve God, that determines his destiny. Like I said, identity always determines destiny. This is what held Paul up when things were hard, when he was beaten, when he was carried out in the town square and cast out of town, when he was shipwrecked, when he was threatened. All these things carried Paul. He knew who he was and he knew his purpose. Do you know who you are today? Do you know your purpose? Do you know your destiny? Well, believer, I want to tell you, if you've received the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his sacrifice on the cross, and you call him Lord, then you are now a son and a daughter of God. Amen. And that makes you royalty. I'm royalty. Where's my, where's my throne? <laughs> I'm royalty. Like, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And that makes you what? Complete. I don't need anything. My dad's the king. What do I need? You're complete. It's that missing piece of integrity. See, it's this purity of heart and righteousness and singleness of focus that keeps us incorrupt, unmoved, and complete. Purity of heart. Singleness of focus. That's integrity. And that's what drove Joseph. And here's what I learned. The key to integrity, the key to getting all this together, it's forged through adversity, the fires of adversity. Like when bad things happen to me and things happen to me, I have a choice in there. I can either learn from it and get stronger from it, or I can let it wipe me out. Because there's a the thing, integrity doesn't come to us naturally. We weren't born, born with integrity. Actually, I mean, we, I have, we had little kids. I was a kid once, and it was a long, long time ago. But you can just watch kids. They're not born with any integrity at all. <laughs> Everything's theirs. It's very selfish. They're little dictators, you know. I mean, if you have kids, you get me. Integrity has to be put into them. And we learn this through adversity. And I want to tell you even, even more so, the integrity that we need to have can't be given to us by ourselves. It has to be given to us by God. Only God can give us true integrity. And it's only by trusting him. Because I tell you right now that 
the people that you look up to that you say, man, those people have integrity. Those people are strong. Those people are unmovable. Those people are uncorruptible. Those people are complete. When you look at those people and, and, you, and you see them, I guarantee you their life wasn't always that way. They had to go through some things. They had to go through some trials. They had to go through some fire to get to who are they, where they are. And I think we take the disadvantage of looking at people at, at where they're at now than looking at where they came from. And we want to be just like them, but we don't want to go through all the things that it took for them to get that way. Integrity is only forged through adversity. But here's the good, friend, here's the good news, guys. When fire trials come your way, when things, situations arise that, that tend to pull you apart, if you let it, it'll forge you into something great. It'll forge you into people like Joseph, who said, I'm going to do the right thing, even though the right thing isn't necessary or easy. It, it, it forged Mary to say yes to the Lord. Say, whatever you want, Lord, I'll do it. See, it's pure hearts and a single purpose that they had, and that is just to serve God. It's purity of heart and singleness of purpose. And it's only unlocked by one key, and that key is trusting God. So I want to ask you today, can you trust God? Can you trust him? Do you really trust him? Or do you just say you trust him? Because I can say I trust God, and when things come up, then it gets challenged. It's easy when things are good. I trust God, brother. God's good. God's great all the time. But then when bad things happen, like, God's good, God's great, all, I don't know. It's hard to trust when things are coming up, but that's when we learn to trust deeper because we see him come through even in those things. See, it's, it's us putting our hope in Jesus. Joseph trusted the Lord. And because he trusted the Lord, he could do what God called him to do. He, I mean, he could have, well, he had a choice. Like I said, he could have woke up and he could have, that's the craziest dream I've ever had. I ate too much shawarma last night. <laughs> Man, that's the craziest dream I've ever had. Angel come, tell me she's married, you know, she's having a baby through the Holy Spirit. What is that? But no, he chose to believe. He chose to trust God. He chose to say, okay, God, I'm going to do what you call me to do. See, it's in our trust in the Lord that allows us to do the right things, even when the wrong thing would be expected, accepted, or even applauded. This world applauds wrong things. They expect you to do the wrong thing. They expect you to do the easy thing. I see too many relationships bail because it's the easy thing. It's the, it's the, it's the convenient thing, but it's not the right thing. It's this conclusion, guys. If you get nothing else from this message today, it's this conclusion that helps us maintain our integrity. And maybe you need to put this up on your mirror or put it somewhere or repeat it. But it's this conclusion of our life, and we realize this. It'll make all the difference. The outcome of my life isn't determined by people, but by God. Do you believe that? That the outcome of my life has nothing to do with people, nothing to do with what happens to me, but everything to do with what God does in me and through me. See, Joseph did. He believed this. And it allowed him to do the right thing despite the circumstances around him and the consequences even. Because there's consequences that Joseph did. I mean, he, when he took Mary as a wife, there was a consequence. It cost him something. The biggest thing was it cost him his right to look good and to be accepted. 
Joseph gave of his rights to be right and to do right. Just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And we have to choose to do the right thing even when the right thing is accepted, you know, expected or even applauded. He was able to give up his right to look good, to save face. He even gave up his right to sleep with his wife until the baby was born. They were married before then. He said, no, I'm going to do the right thing. And then he also gave up his right to name a son. You probably didn't realize this. Joseph had to obey God in this. He had a choice. He could have named Joy the second, or I don't know. But he named him Jesus because that's what the angel told him to do. The Lord saves. Mm. He gave up his rights to be right because his hope was in the Lord. You know, we can't control what happens to us. We can't even control how other people treat us. But we always, 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 always have a choice on how we can respond. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I trust God? And I hope that all of you do the right thing and let God work out the details. When you do the right thing, God will work out the details. We mess it up so often because we're trying to figure out the details. We're trying to work them all out. God didn't ask Joseph to work all the details out. All he said is, marry her, name him, and raise him. That's it. He didn't give him the details. He didn't give him all the stuff. He just said, do what I'm asking. And when you trust God and you do what he asks, he works all the details. I'm glad because I'm not a detail person. Ask anybody that knows me. God works the details out, not us. And so this is how I want to close this morning because there's some of you right now, man, you are in this place. You feel like Joseph, you're lying in bed at night, you can't sleep, you're, you're tossing and you're turning and you don't know which direction to go and you're looking for a firm, uh, firm footing. I hope this psalm that we read together gives you some of that because this psalm that we're going to read together is a psalm of David. Joseph's great, 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 something, grandpa. He wrote this and he needed delivered. He needed help. He needed direction. He felt like his life was falling apart and he didn't know what to do. And so he wrote this psalm, a prayer to God. And I think this psalm is good for us to remember. So it's Psalm 25. So I'm going to ask Christian to come up and play some music and we're going to stand together and we're going to read it together. And I'm going to challenge you this week to read it, not just here, but also at home, to memorize it even. I know it's a long one, but we can memorize it if you try. So Psalm 25, it's out of NLT again. It'll be up on the screen. And we're going to read it together as best as we can together in unison. And I want you to, as we read this, let it sink into your heart. Don't just read the words, but let it, let it saturate your thoughts in your heart. Psalm 25, verse 1. Here we go. O Lord, I give you my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Come on, lead me your truth and teach me. 
for, oh, it's gone. There we go. I'll read up there. That way we can get it. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember my rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. All who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity. That's good. And their children will inherit the land. That's even better. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of the enemies. To me, and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain. See my trouble. Forgive all my sins. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. The key hope in here. You ought to read that. But here's the key hope in you. Oh, God, ransom Israel, all of us, from all of our troubles. Amen. That's such a good psalm, such a good promise. He's with you. He's for you. He has direction for your life. He wants to save you and set you free. And so this morning, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. If you need prayer for anything, we're going we're gonna to open that up to you. What's God speaking to you in this message today? What's God saying to you? Maybe you want to give up and you want to do the wrong thing, but I'm telling you, stay in there. Trust God with the details. He knows. And I'm putting a lot into the story. But I can imagine Joseph laying there in his bed, tossing and turning, thinking about what he's going to do. And he's like, oh. And maybe one of these psalms popped into his, his, his mind. Maybe this psalm even that his ancestor wrote. He said, no, Lord, you give me the right path. You show me the way to go. God, I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to do what you say. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your life. All I know is that God loves you. God has a plan for you. God wants to forgive you. He wants to set you on a right path. He wants to give you a new life. And all you got to do is say yes to him. That's it. Yes, Jesus. I accept your work on the cross. You forgive my sins. You make me clean. You give me a new life. That's salvation. That's the hope we have. Maybe that's you today, and you need to give your life to Jesus. We want to pray with you. So when we have our altar time come up, we're going to pray with you. Maybe you just need direction in your life. Come up. pray. With you. Maybe you need healing in your body. Come up. We're going to pray with you. Whatever you need, God knows. God knows, and you know. And when you agree with someone else, God does it. That's scriptural. 
And know what I love about this passage more than anything? That last verse says, redeem us, Israel, save us from our troubles. The answer to that is Jesus. He redeemed all of us. He saved all of us. And that we have hope. And that we can do the right thing because we know we're already right with God. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to open the altars up. And then Christian's going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to encourage you as well. Don't just sing this song, but pray for these people coming up. Maybe someone next to you, pray for them. I don't know. That's scary. I just asked you all to do that. But maybe God's asking you to do that today. So, Father, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you draw everyone up that needs prayer. God, you know who's in this house. You know who's watching online that need to give their life to you. Jesus, this is from you and for you. God, you've saved us and you set us right. God, you made us right. You made us clean. You made us pure. God, you have called us your children. And God, I pray that we would hold on to that today, God, that we would know our identity is is found only in you and nothing else, that our destiny is only in you and no one else. God, we thank you that you are God Almighty. We thank you that Jesus saves, and we give this day to you, Lord. I pray that you would meet everyone up here that gets prayer, God, that you would answer their prayers, heal their bodies, save their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.